Hello, you are listening to Vox Populi Galleries Podcast. Vox Populi Galleries Podcast. Vox Populi Gallery is a collective run gallery space in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We first opened our doors in 1988 in the old city neighborhood of Philadelphia. Today we are in Chinatown at 319 North 11th Street. So if you're in the neighborhood, stop by. Gallery hours are 12 to 6 p.m., Wednesday through Sunday. This podcast series aims to record many discussions which take place at the gallery from gallery talks, lectures, and interviews. At Vox, we have four separate gallery spaces, often having having four separate solo exhibitions featuring artists from our membership, Philadelphia, and as well as artists from across the United States and internationally. The podcast cast you're about to listen to today is from one of our gallery talks. With each exhibition cycle, we host a gallery talk and invite a guest speaker to moderate the discussion with the artist in the exhibit, or it is uh, organized directly with the exhibiting artist. The gallery talk is typically held on the last weekend of the exhibition. If you're interested in catching us in real time and joining the conversation, please do check our website, voxpopuligallery.org, for more details. This gallery talk features Tim Belknap, Sharon Kolpinger, and Stephanie Bersessi. These shows are up now and uh, they run till April 23rd, 2017 for um, those of you who might be listening in the future. So if you have time to catch them in person after tuning in, please do so. Uh, our special guest moderator for this uh, gallery talk is Jody Throckmorton. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully I didn't butcher that. So PAFA's Contemporary Art Curator uh, Throckmorton oversees PAFA's Contemporary Art Exhibition programs, including the Morris Gallery program and the Sculpture Sculpture Plinth program. So uh, I've decided to upload the lump sum of the discussion, so look forward to two plus hours of gallery talk goodness. And I am also... um, uploading in sequence of the discussion. So first up is Stephanie Bersessi, and then we have Tim Belknap and Sharon Kolbinger uh, closes out the gallery talk. So enjoy, and if you're listening to us in the studio, happy art making. You gotta pick a side. Yeah, you gotta pick a side. You gotta do it. Now we know a little bit more about it. Which side do you want? Like, you, which side do you want? Oh, I'll, I can. I can. Okay. We'll be in the middle. So we'll be loud. Can you guys hear us? Hear me? Cool. Great. Awesome. Um, thank you for coming. Hi, Esme. Uh, so, um, so I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna let Jody throw me a little, little, little ball. Here. Okay. A hard ball or a soft ball? Well, I was just thinking that actually experiencing this, this installation with the group was really interesting because a lot of what we have talked about about this installation is is how it obstructs the viewer and how you have a choice of where to go in. So I wonder if you could talk about that um, and what you were thinking when you when you did this installation with that with that choice. Yeah. And I think that's, that's pretty much where I started. Um, as a like, a, I've been a box member for about three years, so I also um, I've watched how people kind of move through this space, and the wall is arranged in the exact spot in which people usually kind of like beeline and walk right through this gallery. So one is sort of my very first thought was how can I interrupt the track of the viewer, and also how can I make it immediately apparent that you have to be active in this exhibition and not passive. So right when you kind of enter the gallery, either way, you have to be aware of your body and be aware of a choice 
you know, you're forced to pick this and sort of make this decision. So I really like that moment in which you're aware that you're gonna like negate one thing and choose something else. So that was really interesting to me. Um, in more ways than just accessing that idea of body and mind connection. But for me, if you enter, if you enter on this side, then you have a, a view of the entire exhibition. And you see through this mirror, or this piece of glass, and you assume that people can see you from the other side. And this space is a much more like quiet, meditative space, which is reflected in the concepts of the sculpture. So you have this one perception entering on this side that you have an assumption about the other side. If you ent enter on the bright side, you actually can't see through, as all of you know. So in that way, you may assume that the other people in here also can't see you. So based on which side you enter, you have a very distinct experience. And where the work really is for me is when you walk around to the other side of the space and realize that what you assumed was not correct about that side. Um, so that's a, that's like a yeah. big that's a big wonderful moment for me of like disrupting some kind of expectation there. And this sort of this this reads on multiple levels for you. There's personal significance, and then there's larger um, significance that bleeds out into the to the real world, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, you know most of my work deals with. Uh, I'm really interested in psychology. I'm really interested in human behavior. I love watching people kind of make difficult decisions. <laughs> Um, and, and, and to me, those decisions are based on past experience with not only like viewing artwork, but also your personal life experience and relationships, be them platonic or romantic, and kind of how you navigate these choices. Like this work is an architectural wall. These are photographs of a wall being built and torn down. There's a doorway. So there's the subject matter of the work, but the subject matter is really just a starting point. And I'm interested in the metaphorical kind of abilities of what those things mean on a larger scale. So for me, I'm really interested in human behavior. And so I've been thinking a lot about how the work can actually force you to move your body in space in a certain way, and also kind of force you to kind of think about maybe, you know, what your perception is of something and how that changes within the exhibition. Yeah. Well, and I was really struck by the piece that's in here, that if you're in here, you cannot see. Um, but that's part of the interesting part, because I think I walked through this area first. And coming into the dark, really soft, more of a meditative area, like that piece felt like a real treat to me for some reason. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I would say, um, so all of this work that you see here, comes from my own personal like life experience. And what I mean by that is that if I'm like, you know, like falling for someone or I have a friendship and we have like an argument, those feelings that are kind of generated in me like feed directly back into the work. So I'm a big believer in kind of taking your life experience and putting that those kind of feelings back into work. Um, so even if it doesn't feel like this work is directly about a specific personal experience, it has a lot of those elements in it. So that, that particular sculpture there, um, that I'll, I'll kind of go back one and say the title, uh, To Skip to Gloss, this, this work as I've kind of been like laying it out and you've been experiencing it, is a lot about seeing things from one perspective having a, maybe a narrow view. 
So seeing things from one side. And this work is also a lot about that communication between two different sides. So that sculpture, which is 13 little Q-tips, but they only have cotton on one side, has some humor to it that essentially you can only clean like one ear. So you can only hear out of one side. So that kind of folds back into like only being able to hear like half the conversation or being able to maybe see what you want to see in a relationship or see, kind of only see from one side. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that, that I think ties all three of these installations is you've all talked about how though it maybe wasn't the impetus for the work, but this, this work was either being made just pre-election or during the election in some case. And so some of these ideas that are playing out in all three installations, I think, are, are affected by that. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, time, uh, thinking about time is also a big part of my work. So just addressing the photographs specifically, um, those photographs are actually documentation of a performance. Can't see the performer. It was me. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, and, uh, which is me tearing down my previous installation here at Vox. So that show was here a year and a half ago in the gallery that Yvette was in. That was a sculptural wall installation that also had this kind of choice built into it and a door that you couldn't open that was locked. So this, in terms of that time, that sort of collapse of time, these photographs um, were made and then I worked on them and worked with them over the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. Kind of already preconceiving that this would fold into this show and kind of have a sort of like twinship with it. Mm -hmm. um, of course, during that time, our entire political, cultural, and socioeconomic landscape exploded and <laughs> there's lots of talk and and, and, and arguing and crying and, and like thinking about what it means uh, to give someone access um, on a much larger scale, of course, in terms of immigration, but also just access to information and also the idea of just building a wall that, of course, is like a bullet point um, that many people are either for or against. So the subject matter of the images in kind of you know, as they are arranged, which is not narrative, and kind of jumps back and forth between them being built and then kind of being torn down. I think I, I wouldn't like sort of put that first as like a first step, but I would say that obviously mm -hmm. there's some like unavoidable metaphors in there about like our current political, you know, right. moment. Yeah. Right. And it seems like that's something that, that, I mean, a lot of artists are grappling with. How do you deal with this um, sort of elephant in every single room at every moment? Yeah. Um, but in your in a way that's that's true to you and true to your work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like I think in in talking about like how this work comes from personal life experience, obviously the the argument or you know the news like everything that's happening uh, is is part of my life. It's part of like the information that's like kind of cycling down. And for me, um, it's incredibly disturbing. I you know, have never ever felt this way in my lifetime um, about the sort of current state <laughs> um, of the world and of its inhabitants. Uh, but I would say that, I would say that in a way, um, many things that are being talked about on that broader political landscape are just about personhood. They're about being a certain kind of person and what that person chooses to do with information. And so I think that in that way, it kind of can revolve around that larger mm. discussion. But it really, I mean, I would think that um, I'll, I'll propose two ideas for this space as a whole. 
In one way, I think about these two different sides of the exhibition as potentially two different people, right, that are trying to talk to each other, trying to communicate, or essentially miscommunicating. Um, if you're on this side and looking at yourself in the mirror, really like the idea that that's kind of maybe talking about how you might not be seeing the other person's perspective um, if you're talking to them. And I also like that the people on this side can watch you looking at yourself. So there's some kind of like inherent uh, viewership or access in there. Um, but I would also propose that this whole room can also be two sides of the same person. I think that it can kind of revolve around like ways in which we interact with people that we kind of don't want to see their perspective. Like we make that choice that we don't want to um, for whatever reason based on our experience. Or that maybe I'll use the sort of darker side as maybe we have a greater perspective on the situation. So have, have you been able to watch how people have interacted with the exhibition? Yeah. And has there been anything that you've learned or was a surprise to you or yeah. if you could talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this has been super strange because to me this is like an art wall, right? It's like not, it is architecture, but it's not, it's solid, <laughs> but it, people really just believe that this wall either has been here, has like, it's like a sudden permanent fixture, even though to me it's very temporary and it's part of an installation. So people are just treating this like, you know, like any other wall in the gallery. Mm -hmm. um, people are like touching and like, like looking through the glass. There's a lot of um, people who experience kind of are like running around this space mm -hmm. and also kind of saying like, hey, go on the other side and see if you can see me. And like, I've also seen people have that surprise look mm -hmm. as they come around this side and be like, oh, people could watch me as I like took a selfie in the mirror or like, look, you know, looked at something or like, you know, fix my eye or like, you know, something. <laughs> and they suddenly are like, oh my God, someone was watching me. Whereas they didn't think that that was the case before. So mm -hmm. I've, I've seen a lot of that, which I just didn't expect so much play. I mean, that's really exciting right, to right. me, you know, but, uh, but yeah, there's like a, like a weird fascination between like, almost like wanting to be on both sides at once. Um, and I, hmm. and you can't, you can't do that at the entryways is the only point that you can actually see both spaces. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. interesting. I never thought actually about what it means to stand right here and think about it, both installations. I was thinking about it within, mm -hmm. but you really do get, when I'm in there, I think about how I'm on like in a continuous loop. Yeah. Because when you look in the mirrors, you see those photos is like, that's, you were saying that like, that's the whole, like that you think that's the whole exhibition. Yep. But yep. when you come around here, this is actually the only part where you can see the, mm -hmm. the whole ex installation. Yeah. And in that way, like, there's a lot of doubling and mirroring in those photographs, too. There's photographs I chose or put next to each other that are, like, maybe a slight hair difference. So I'm interested in people looking at the photographs, thinking that they've maybe looking down the line, going from right to left, mm -hmm. seeing a photograph, and then getting to the next wall and being like, wait, didn't I just see that back there? So that, like, weird doubt of something that you think you saw and then how that's kind of like doubled in the mirrors. Yeah, and doubled in that mm -hmm. loop where there's a kind of, um, I love when people doubt what they see. They see something, they have an assumption, and then there's another moment within the exhibition in which they kind of reevaluate what they think that is. That's really interesting to me um, as just like that, as like a nugget of art making. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned, um, you, call, you said that um, you were the performer, the missing performer, right? Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, in the photographs. So, you know, you're thinking about your photographs with, within the lens of performance here, mm -hmm. more so than as photographs themselves or? Yeah. 
I, I mean, the photographs there, they're so flat and odd. There's no glass in the front because I wanted that surface of the photographs to read very flat. And also I'm playing with the light and the space inside the photographs to kind of bring forward blacks and push whites back so that it's, it's like, they kind of look like paintings, some of them. Mm -hmm. They definitely still retain their imageness. But in turn, are they documentation? Are they, you know, like I, I'm, yeah. I love playing with all those kinds of questions. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that there's also a sense of the body when I talk about making a choice as to which side to choose. These photographs are also obviously something someone is like tearing those things down with their body, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, and that sort of hopefully relates to the Q-tips, which are something that you use every day in a kind of mindless way mm. that you like put in your body um, and take out of your body. I like I like that kind of mm -hmm. weird like sight, speech, hear, like touch, mm -hmm. you know, so. Is there time for a couple of questions? Yeah. Questions? Any questions? I have a question. Uh, <laughs> uh oh. I want to. Well, I just. I'm curious to hear because I like you're talking about this duality. But for me, there's also a very strong, like, very strong and in some ways very unequal power dynamic between the two sides, mm -hmm. right? Like, there's an authoritarian surveillance <laughs> state going on here, uh, especially like this anonymous surveillance. Because I. I mean, I think what most people read this as two-way glass. So you know you're being observed, mm. but uh, you don't know by who or for what reason. I'm wondering if there's any of that, like, is there like a more sinister, if there's a sinister read here that I'm just maybe projecting onto it? No, know. please project. No, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that, that is definitely, um, how do I put this? That is, that can happen in mm -hmm. a, any kind of relationship, right? Mm -hmm. That potentially someone feels like they have more information and that's because of the way they want to see a circumstance or so. And I like that maybe the other person becomes paranoid, like those power dynamics that develop over time. And again, like not necessarily completely a romantic relationship, but any kind of like ro relationship where people mm -hmm. are interacting over and over. Yeah. I like the idea that maybe this is some kind of like, like end point development of what that would be. Yeah. So yeah, so, so I'm, I'm on board for Sinister. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any other questions? I have a comment. Perfect. Um, I like spent a lot of time trying to see if these were chronological, and I love that. Like I think they're not, um, and I think that <laughs> I think that uh, provides for like a really rich like frustration and mm. tension that I really like. And that speaks a lot to the like being unsure if you can be seen or seeing your like being forced to see yourself, which some people might like and. So might not. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah, thanks. One more? One more question? Okay. All right. Okay. in here and I mean I, I thought it was funny a little bit but I also was really really uncomfortable in this space partially because like I'm looking at this and I know that this ball is like following I, I felt like you know the ball was like following me or something and I think that's something that relates back to what Stephanie was doing um, in that like you walk into these spaces and you're, you feel a little off kilter by, by the piece and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that or start there oh what you're thinking. 
Um, well, we were also just going to, if you don't mind. No, nope, no, nope, go ahead. We were also just talking about the Paul Chan piece yep. that you curated. Um, and, and there was something about, you, you mentioned somebody walking in and sort of laughing and just sort yeah. of immediately having the reaction of like, oh, this is sort of humorous. And, and you just sort of like, I, I wonder, you know, just questioning quickly, like, how are people going to kind of come in and yeah. sort of uh, the piece? Um, I, um, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to kind of get off track a little bit, but I'm also interested in, um, you probably know Jordan Wolfson's piece, mm -hmm. the sort of marionette, and I'm way, I'm not, I don't dislike that piece, but I'm not as intrigued with that piece as like what Paul Chan is able to do with his pieces, mm -hmm. and I can't ever really sort of like put my finger on like what, what is happening with the work that really sort of attracts me to sort of, and, and you were talking about his fans just being like, if it's a little bit off, it just sort of lays flat. Yeah, so is and it... And I think there's those moments where it can kind of go awry. Not awry, but just sort of like, it just changes. And mm -hmm. I think maybe the kind of like heavy-handedness of like Jordan's work. Mm -hmm. I just feel like if I had met him, he would always say something like, do you get it? Or something like, it just sort of like seems right. like a bit of a, a little bit too sort of direct. Well, and we, you were talking about... Um, is it something to do with like the slickness of the technology too? I mean, you like the purposefully rough. You like to sort of put it all out there in terms of what you're, how you're making these things in terms of robotics or algorithms yeah. or. Yeah. Because I think there's like a maybe. Um, I'm not saying that Jordan Wolfson's work isn't honest, um, but does everybody know the piece that we're talking about? Maybe that would be good to. Okay, good. Um, but it's like a. Um, like is it just you know you're sort of showing like the simplicity it's like a simplicity that you're yeah, putting no, no, out no. there and it's a yeah um yeah i um well there, there is something about sort of like showing the mechanics yeah like, i mean and, and you know i'm just like i don't i don't make this work by myself i'm, I'm always just sort of like tapping somebody who's with me or you know my roommate or my co-director at the icebox and i'm always just sort of like what do you think of this? What do you think of this? Should I sort of, where, did, where is that line in which the feet sort of rest? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, the idea of sort of the mechanics is, um, um, I mean, I, I'm still sort of fascinated in the kind of like how the simplicity in which sort of our body kind of, you know, is able to, is functioning. Right. And, and, um, and, and that we are, for the most part, just kind of like simple sort of levers and that we can sort of stand upright. Um, I'm just way off track right now. No, no, no. Yeah. But I, I'm, but the, um, I'm about to start. You were talking about biology. Yeah. And I think that I'm really curious about how you decided what gestures, because like that one right there, when it does that, like yeah. that's kind of funny. And we were talking about that makes you think of like a child putting their feet over something yeah. and thinking it. But like all the feet gestures to me are very human, even though they're yeah. coming from this, these robots. Yeah. And you were talking about your interest in biology, and I was just wondering how you decided which of these to use. Yeah. Yeah. What you're <laughs> well, that's tough. I mean, I just today I sort of like made a connection. I and this goes. I'm I'm old now, and I remember when I was 12, just to sort of like get money for the summer, I'd work like I'd get up at seven and go out and pick strawberries all like all all morning going out and like this uh, behind the tractor on a big sort of flat bed just sort of like dangling your feet over and the experience of like the going there and the coming back after like a long day of work and just be like 
how like, I mean now, I mean I'm like, I'm about to tell everybody how much I weigh. But I mean like, I weigh more than you probably think I do. And I get home and my feet are just, I'm, I'm exhausted and I can barely sort of stand on that. And so I temporarily, you know, you just do things to kind of like get that out of you. So some of them are that and some of them are just kind of, um, I, a couple years ago, I just sort of decided to, I'm just going to make mechanics. I'm just going to do mechanical things and then performance and sort of like choreography, but I'm just interested in movement. Mm -hmm. So I'm always sort of just interested in trying to like, I think Ryan said, can you know, you should have two feet tapping. And I was like, you know, how do I get that synchronized motion out? I'm going to challenge myself and say, I'm going to use one motor and not two, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to like find a way and just sort of like the Kenner laboring and stuff like that that happens. Um, and so one of the things I think that comes maybe through all, all three of your installations is this you know, idea of utopia dystopia, which is just a huge buzzword, both buzzwords yeah. right now. But I think you're when we start, we were talking about a quote that I cannot remember where it came from, but this idea that someone said like in the, I don't know, when, I'm sorry. But you know, in the 50s and 60s, everybody thought that by now we'd all be like, have robots that were doing everything for us. And so it's like sort of like, well, where the hell are the robots? But now we're actually at a moment when it could, it's real. Like they're talking about how by 2020, none of us may be driving cars. Yeah. So like to me, this speaks to some sort of futuristic vision, whether it yeah. be happy or sad vision. It may be sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I just recently started to get really back into kind of coming up with titles for, for pieces mm -hmm. where um, for a while you just kind of like, I just, that's a different thing, right? And you sort of separate it from work and then sometimes it sort of comes back. Mm -hmm. And just this one, I was just sort of like, titles are gonna be important. So the feet are called incurable few. Um, and, and, and I mean, I just make, in my studio, I just make the most sort of outlandish and just, you know, I just say I got eight. Oh, that's pretty relevant with the sort of like, we're missing a Supreme mm. Court justice and incurable few seems about right. Um, and then that one is called, um, Supernature, which is uh, from a site like a, a, a disco French drummer who had this song called Supernature. Sarone, um, which I just, if you, so I was also listening to a lot of like, I made a really good dance mix for New Year's and I've been listening to that for Walter. That's gotten me through January, beginning of February. Um, so I'm also incredibly, you know, I'm. I'm interested in rhythm and timing, and so some of these sort of the feet picking and the other mm -hmm. one just sort of like the slow, really those two feet over there really rubbing very slowly together. Um, yeah, in terms of like the, um, well, I guess I'm also interested in what other people think, because I mean, I have, I got too many, yeah. Sure, I think you had a, yeah, question or comment. Um, I think one thing that really excites me about what's up here is that it's as though you are conducting an experiment. What's the minimum um, unit of, of gesture that I can produce that will force someone to feel it in their own body? Because this, this one in particular with the two oh. feet, I really can feel that as though it's producing, even though I know that it's dumb, like it's a dumb machine, I become the dumb machine. And I'm, <laughs> watching because I, I would do, feel like even if I'm not doing it I would feel that. So I part of the of the project that interests me is like how, how much further would you go to induce these very minimal 
with these very minimal gestures, a sympathetic response. Um, even even when the sound is telling me that it's no, there's no sympathy here whatsoever. Yeah. It's not. Nonetheless, the, the magic of the of just you know skin on skin making me feel different. Whereas this, I can't feel that in my body at all. Yeah. It just is something that's going to worry me forever. So I appreciate that contrast between what's and Yeah. Thank you. Um, I have like a, I have just like had a perpetual scowl on my face because this is, I'm just like so repulsed. This is, has like a very personal, because I have a very weird relation with my feet because they're very, very large. And so mm. now I, it's definitely dystopian for me because I feel like they've taken over. Yeah. And now I'm just like so disgusted by that. I mean, like, this is all good disgust. Yeah. <laughs> and that, oh my god, it just all freaks me out so much. Yeah. This is like worse, this is like a 3D movie. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so good job. Thank you. I, I promised the people on the internet that you would talk about your relationship to this piece of technology. Oh. So you have to talk about you talk about this sculpture a little bit? Yeah. Um, um, well, I mean, this is all, I mean, I, it's, uh, um, You know, it's weird making work, because um, I, I it, it can be so frustrating and, and difficult, but also incredibly. I mean, for the most part, like the mechanics are incredibly easy. Now, I mean, just whip them out. I think sort of like uh, thinking about these sort of install and the installation. I mean, I didn't start. I just couldn't make anything in January, so I didn't start working on this until February. So I had about a month to make everything, um, and I. Um, and when I thought about sort of the television, I was just thinking about, I did a project a long time ago where I sort of built a space station mock-up and I suspended myself and um, you could just turn it. Um, and I Skyped with fourth grade public schools because for me it was sort of about like just, I, I think if you can't sort of like look out and sort of inspire and I, I'm really interested in futurism and, and I think that is this sort of an essential like it is a part of our DNA to have some sort of belief in something. And, and I think sort of the idea of the beyond, you know, possibilities. And I just thought sort of like, that's, that's sort of been robbed from me. And I don't, I don't feel like looking out and look inwards now. And I just wanted another plane. I just wanted there to be layers. And like, there is that and there is this. And then there is like something else that is unknown and just ahead of us. And we don't know. And it's... And it changes every time the ball hits it. It just sort of like adjusts the image because it's just a broken television that we broke maybe four years ago. Yeah. No. No. Collateral damage. Yeah. I actually think it was a stuffed. What was it? A stuffed. Uh, it's a stuffed, like a groundhog. That smashed against it. Yeah. 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 Um, I wanted to ask how uh, what your planning was Yeah, I wanted to, um, I was originally thinking about creating a false ceiling, just sort of drywalling it, um, but I also, I'm interested, just over the last couple of days, I've just been so, like, pulling my hair out about 
sort of how artists view sort of their own economics and sort of the art, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in Philly sort of trying to adjust its sense of like the art community's economics and how we sort of value things and, and spend our money and, and I didn't want to just waste that material. So I was like, you know, I'd like to build a bunch of planners this summer. So I just was like, if I, I can use all this wood. So I was like, but I still wanted there to be some sort of aperture that created a plane above and below. And I thought just sort of like that tilt down would it sort of accentuate that and make you kind of like feel as though there is sort of a compression at some point, right? That there is just a sort of like a, you know, just kind of ever so slightly kind of like tilt the glass. If you think about sort of a glass with water, it's just kind of like, um, yeah. And are the bollards just to keep the ball Just to keep it in. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to refer to those. I mean, I think those are an important element of the installation. The, the choice you made to go with those very heavy bollards that could stop the pickup truck, right? Up here where there are no, not going to be any pickup trucks. Yeah. Really kind of gets you thinking about, well, what the hell are they there for? And normally they would keep things out. Yeah. Right? So mm -hmm. then you begin to put two and two together and realize they're about keeping something yeah. in. And they create a lot of energy. Yeah. I was talking to somebody who works at the Museum of Art and Design and and then there's another building that has a Whole Foods where he goes and gets food and between that there's the Trump Tower and how now it's just sort of like tanks, not tanks, but just sort of the military presence, some sort of like the barriers that now sort of disrupt that daily, you know, and you're just sort of so aware of everybody with sort of a rifle and, and I think there was just something about that kind of, I don't know if people if it stops anybody from entering, but I do think that there is kind of a, yeah, I think, I think these are one of my favorite. avenues like that now, too. You used to be able to just stroll right by, but now there's this, and there's this real, like, you have to make a commitment yeah. to go through that space. You're very aware of this, the inside and the outside. Tim, can I ask one more question? Sure, one more. Uh, I can't help but make a plug for the fact that another significant aspect of the exhibition cycles uh, is the kind of expanded bibliography, kind of what artists are reading or thinking about when they're making these shows and how they kind of come to genesis and how they're realized. And one of the things that we've talked about a number of times, whether it's studio visits or during installation, is this really remarkable collection of comic books that you have up front, which all seem to deal in one way or another with sort of I quit. The superhero is being exhausted. And I was thinking about this idea of exhaustion as a kind of, obviously there's a kind of psychological aspect or a physical aspect of exhaustion, but it seems like that word has a lot of relevance maybe to thinking about energy and other kind of ideas or concepts that are forcing throughout the show. Yeah. So I wondered if you maybe wanted to say a word about those. I thought, I thought that relationship was really striking. Yeah, I don't read comics, but I just like, again, over these last couple months, I've just been, I think I saw somewhere I had an old comic and I remembered <laughs> Iron Man quitting. And I thought like, oh, I wonder how many superheroes actually just sort of like just gave it up and didn't die. It was just sort of like, I'm done with it. <laughs> and, and he actually, and I reread it and it was so like disheartening. He just like, he drinks and then he passes out. And then the, 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 the guy who's the sort of colonel takes his suit off of him while he's sort of like just pass out and puts it on and takes off. So then I was just like, I gotta find every comic where a superhero just kind of like, and a lot of them are just sort of like, I'm fed up with like, just an underappreciation, I'm fed up with getting hurt, I'm fed up with, you know, and just sort of like hangs it up. 
lot of like basketball, that kind of like wire mesh, like park uh, trash cans, a lot of them end up in that sort of like, <laughs> so there's something sort of. If we're wondering where to put our. Yeah, you throw it in one of those metal wire that you saw, but you know, it'd be around a sort of a park. If we're gonna sneak one more in. So the idea of performing in the space. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I like to do. So I see a scenario where it's like a play with the ball where you're like, you know, Mr. Strongman and you're, you know, trying to veer it off of you and, yeah. you know, like the young lady that's like, she's sitting there just like holding it and like, yeah. you know. So they talked about performances or y'all going to do something you like you yeah. see the reaction? <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's, I, so it's, it, the way it runs is it's just something generating numbers. It's just like randomly generating numbers and then whatever that number is, it decides to do something and then it rolls, it, it decides how long, right? And it just, and, and it, and it just, if, if given the choice, it just goes to a corner and gets stuck. So I think if, I mean, if there's any performance, it's just me sort of like dragging it back out into the middle of the room. <laughs> And it's not easy, so there is that kind of like, how do you, um, yeah, I don't know, I mean, yeah, I'm doing yoga well, now, maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm getting into, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that ball, I didn't realize that that's how you got emotion that you got, because um, as an observer, it really feels like it's responding to you, um, and so I'm wondering, like, how did you arrive at that kind of, Algorithm. Did you play with it? Did, did you interact with it yourself? Because it feels, and maybe it's just like my tendency to be paranoid. But when I step into the space, it feels like, maybe if I do this, yeah. it'll roll away from me. Yeah. Like, look at your project, like, invite that kind of yeah. play. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen it move until I put it together for the show. And then I just keep coming in and try changing the code around and trying to get it to behave in a particular way. I don't even know what that is. I, I mean, sometimes I think I just wanted to kind of like roll and be way more aggressive or, or just sort of sit still for a while. Um, yeah, it's weird to see people sort of like put their foot underneath it, which makes me just think we, we just really think humans are the best thing in the world. It's just sort of like, yeah, this should respond to me. It should sense me somehow. <laughs> I have soul somehow. Uh, um, yeah, and then other people, I mean, I, at first Friday, I just have to come in here and tell people not to kind of like throw it. Where it just people come in and as soon as it moves, they just sort of like, it just beckons them to kind of like toss it across the room. Um, I don't know, but can I just keep it just inviting, I guess. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm still trying to tweak it. I'm just trying to figure out what it is in its movement. I, I mean, are we done? Because um, I would like to like think that it could have a life somewhere. I mean, but then it will need some sort of containment because it would just kind of be like roll around. Philadelphia. Huh? Just leave it out. Let leave it, it out go. and let fill it, it out. Let it free. Yeah. You don't want to talk, do you want, well, yeah, can I ask you one more question? Yeah. May I ask you one more question? Yeah. Because one of the things that we talked about is that there's, there's rainbows yeah. at the top. Yeah. And what does that mean? Um, um, it's not something you immediately noticed, or at least I did. No. They're, they're pseudo rainbows. Yeah. 
Um, uh, I mean, the, the, I, I heard somebody just basically say that, you know, if, if you're not laying down to die, then you must have sort of some sort of hope that you must think that there is um, the yeah. possibility of, of, of a better, I don't know, That's of ascending great. of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good, that's a good segue. Yeah. <laughs> so I liked, I liked the way Tim's quote ended things over there because I think it feeds into something that is in all three installations and certainly in here and thinking about duality, um, hopefulness and despair uh, utopia, dystopia, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, your grounding ideas of when you were thinking about utopia for this project. Yeah, um, so my background is that I kind of, I grew up in a very dogmatic community. My parents were interested in Eastern Indian principles and kind of uprooted our family to move to a community where we, like, meditated and practiced yoga twice a day and studied Sanskrit and Vedic medicine. And um, there was kind of, there was definitely, like, I felt like I had this, like, Catholic schoolgirl syndrome where I was really encouraged and pressured to believe in certain things, but yet I felt inherently really resistant to it. And so um, through that kind of experience and kind of learning how to behave on two different kind of levels depending upon the context that I was in, um, I started to operate from a place where I was always kind of thinking about dual relationships. And so um, I kind of started to channel that kind of experience and method of acting um, through my work. And so um, all of the pieces that I have in this show, as well as in many of my other works, deal with kind of opposing forces. So I kind of, you know, see this, the piece which is in the center, as being, um, you know, this kind of inclination to like meditate and believe and have like a spiritual practice um, as symbolized by like the pendulum and then the kind of circular form of the rug, which is reminiscent of like a mandala. And then um, this white flag of surrender, which is turned upside down and therefore kind of inverts the meeting to make it um, that of resistance. And so I started to kind of research this kind of idea of um, ideals, which my parents were definitely ascribing to. Um, in a more broader context last summer, and I came across Thomas More's Utopia. And I was really interested in that book because um, not only in reading it, which kind of describes this, you know, in a very idealistic way, this society which believes that their way of living is superior, um, but the impetus for Thomas More to write it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, in which he um, described all of these kind of... Uh, uh, fantastical practices and and way of life in a, in a um, very convicted way, but yet he himself was totally skeptical of those. And so he's in a sense kind of making fun of people that ascribe to those certain beliefs. So I felt like that kind of, that book really summed up for me my experience growing up, as well as I think so many other experiences um, just in society in general, in which we have to deal with um, two different perspectives, for instance, or two different kind of um, opposing variables that yet somehow coexist um, simultaneously. 
Um, and so that's where I kind of like started to arrive at some of these solutions to the work and some of the references in the work itself. Mm -hmm. Well, and um, one of the things that, that really struck me was the way that you're using photos as objects. Mm -hmm. um, and also the level of handmade within this work, which maybe is not apparent immediately when, when you walk in. Mm -hmm. um, and why you decided to, I mean, maybe you could describe what some of these pieces, how you made some of these pieces and, and, and why. Yeah. Why take that much time? Yeah. Um, I think that I'm inherently like interested in the act of labor and how that labor translates to, um, you know, spiritual practices that kind of desire, that need to repeat something over and over again to attain a certain kind of uh, nirvana or transcendence. And so the rug in the center is made out of uh, silk fabric that I collected at thrift stores and hand dyed black and then cut into strips and then braided into a rug. And I found myself kind of referencing like early American settlers and how they were uh, making rugs out of clothing scraps early on. Um, but also this idea of the thrift stores being a place where a community brings their objects or their clothing, um, all their intimate possessions, to exchange. And so they donate them and then, you know, take new objects home. Um, and so in thinking about this idea of utopian organized communities, I felt as though the thrift stores, this kind of, um, can stand as this metaphor for this kind of uh, communal exchange. And the flag was made out of um, bleached cotton. So while I was dyeing the silk and it became an additive process, the cotton became a reductive process. And I kind of see a little bit of struggle inherent in the material itself because I, you know, attempted to uh, bleach this white, but yet then there's still, in the fabric itself, there was still some resistance to bleach totally white, some, some better than others. Um, I came, became kind of interested more so in that different, the different levels of, um, kind of visibility of the former pattern that existed. Mm -hmm. And the photos as well, because um, oh, yeah, you can see the, yeah. the sort of obsessiveness, yeah. I would say, obsessive quality of the painting on those photos. Yeah, yeah, I can't let photos just be photos. Um, I, I need, I have an impulse to um, bring them into some sort of more present viewing experience rather than I think that at least when I view photographs it becomes more cerebral. I definitely like feel like I'm being taken back to a moment in which the photo was taken. I make certain presumptions or um, you know altogether new narratives about what is happening in the frame or outside of the frame and by treating my photographs more as objects I think that I kind of bring them into more of a present tense and it's not so much about referencing you know, a past moment as much as making some sort of a uh, conversation with the sculptural objects. So, and then this um, here, the, the photo of the hand uh, um, on the prop stand becomes, you know, further metaphor for um, the kind of illusion, you know, I was thinking about like stage props and how they kind of construct an illusion <coughs> of um, some sort of scene or setting in order for uh, you know, a theatrical play to happen. Mm. And so in being able to exhibit both the front side, which um, is a picture of a um, 11th century Chinese Buddha um, with the backside, which then has a photograph of a human um, and their arm being allude, alluding to the, that which is kind of more eternal and that which is kind of more mortal um, and to be able to play with that dual relationship as well. Um, one of the things that struck me that we talked about earlier is that you said that this installation was really packed for you. 
Yeah. Like really sort of busy for you. Yeah. And um, what made what made you sort of put more work in here, or or you know why 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 the why do you think this is too much? Or oh gosh, I mean I think that like my work, um, I like to give it a lot of space to have just emotional weight because you know we talked about a little bit about how like my work tends to be a little more on the melancholy side. It's very monochromatic and muted, um, and so um, you know I think that. Yeah. Every time I have an exhibition, I learn something new. And I think I was responding to my last exhibition at Vox, which was very sparse, and thinking about, like, okay, do I need to, like, somehow add more in to, like, um, I don't know, just fill the space a little bit more. And I actually have arrived at the conclusion that I don't, that I think that I added too much in the space. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's a piece, there's, like, you, you said probably one of the most important mm -hmm. pieces in the installation, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like that in that little corner. can't quite see in the corner, um, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that piece. Yeah. You did a little bit, but. Yeah, it's, um, it's a cast of the book Utopia, and um, it's, I, I cast it with the plaster and a graphite powder mix, and I was interested in kind of making it appear as though it's stone or fossilized. And I think in using my monochromatic color palette, because I'm taking objects that really are, you know, quite commonly exist in the real world, such as, you know, a rug or a flag or the sandbag on the back of the prop stand. Um, it's really important for me to still remove them from the real world and make them distinctly different. And so by scaling back the color, by making them, um, you know, inoperable, like otherwise it's this cast of a book, so it's not going to be opened by anyone. It, um, I think it takes it away from the living world and makes it um, kind of a little more of an artifact of, you know, perhaps a, an implied performance like with the rug, which was very, very labor intensive, um, or, you know, something which maybe isn't necessarily relevant anymore, like the, or I shouldn't actually say not relevant because we're talking about how utopia is actually a, a renewed um, relevancy right now within our current political climate. Um, but it's, it's a 500 year old book and so I'm interested in kind of being able to like seal it shut so that it remains slightly inaccessible. Mm -hmm. Well, and you were saying that the definition of utopia in the... Yeah, is no place. In Greek, it translates to no place. So the idea that, like, in fact, utopia is just kind of an absurd um, idea in the first place, that it's not something that's actually ever attainable. Mm -hmm. so. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Um, until uh, right now, I didn't connect all of our books um, mm. from mm -hmm. all of our exhibits in this kind of really amazing way, where we are giving these kind of opposites in some way. Like I have like a bell hooks book and then a book on anarchy, and so it's like together they mm. make the <laughs> the gray space. Yeah. And um, and Tim's like superhero book that's like it's like superhero can do anything, but yet he's too tired and he just wants to quit. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like and then thinking about all the things that you said about utopia and sort of like this kind of like that that duality in there. I wonder if. Um, you think of the exhibition as like the gray space, or in that duality, or in some of those things that are resisting and accepting, mm -hmm. if the pieces remain like like true to their like thingness of like either resistance or acceptance or you know? I, no, it's like gray, it's gray space that interests me. Yeah. In a way, I feel like if I had the answers, then I wouldn't make the work. And so it's the gray space that I 
feel like is where the conversation lies and where my interest lies in the first place and the impetus to make the work. Like, you know, where, where do we position ourselves? Like, how do we feel pulled between like two identities or two, you know, uh, different impulses? And, you know, I think that it's a, kind of a constant struggle and one that if it was resolved wouldn't necessarily be interesting to investigate as art. So, yeah, yeah, I think that that's a really interesting observation. I hadn't looked at our bookshelf that mm-hmm. carefully yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this kind of came like during, I, I was making this during the election. I mean, I started the rug last fall um, where I felt when I felt pretty comfortable with what the result, election results were going to be, um, and then after <laughs> after words, um, I am not like I. While I'm actually was a pretty overtly um, political person, I worked during the 2000 election. Um, I have kind of stepped away from that a little bit, and so. Um, in kind of January and February, when there was a lot of protests happening, and I felt of course, a lot of pressure to complete the show. Um, it was very frustrating to not be able to re-engage with that kind of community again, which I kind of hadn't really been engaged with since the 2000 election. And um, so this kind of white flag became like my way to kind of channel those feelings a little bit um, and just thinking about um, these kind of like keywords that were being thrown out about like resistance and, um, you know, persisting with, and like, of course, ideals as well, and like um, thinking about what you know, what one man's kind of utopia or ideal society is is not necessarily another man's, and so um, like, where is the tension in that as well, and like, what, um, where do you kind of position yourself within, and like, how do you reconcile like, how do you reconcile a compromise between those two, and is that even possible? Um, so the flag kind of became my symbol of like resistance in this case, and my answer to protest when when I was in my studio. Can I ask a question about the materials yeah. then? Mm-hmm. So related to that, the materials of the sculpture, at least. Sorry, um, I don't know. Like, I guess I'm wondering then, like, what the, the materials in terms of. Um, like I kind of I read them as being materials for an interior, a home, kind of a suburban home, um, and yeah, I didn't know if there was like some sort of relationship there because you're talking about sort of national elections as being one kind of I mean politics. Like you frame you're talking about feeling like you had been active in politics and then framing that as like in terms of national elections. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if these materials were related to like other levels of political. Um, not necessarily political, but um, definitely like I guess the more spiritual discourse. I mean, um, the silk was really intentional in that um, it's used for in, in a lot of different cultures for various spiritual practices as being seen as like a natural material that has some preciousness to it. <laughs> And then um, the cotton, I kind of saw as a really ordinary material, like an everyday man's material. <laughs> and so those um, materials were really intentional in how I chose them and juxtaposed them together because I felt like they um, represented kind of different, different things within um, daily life even. Like what do we you know, wear silk for versus like in what context do we wear cotton? I have a question. Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
No, you go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. So, uh, so my attention is sustained uh, by this prop piece. Did you do the fabrication of the prop? Mm -hmm. So it's really exquisitely finished. Like it's a good thing. Like, I, I can really see the, the care and attention that's gone into making even the sort of the, the angle that sits on the floor, which is not quite vertical, just a little bit set back, and and the and the the, um, the weight that you've built for it. And the photograph in the front, which then um, becomes the hidden reserve, which, mm -hmm. I think, which thematically really interests me in relation to what you think about utopia. Like, utopia is kind of a the, the laying out of everything of the, of the nowhere that one can set against the place that we are in order to draw a contrast yeah. between the hell that we live in and the hell that we could be in if we wanted to make right? So that is enacted in some way in this piece. The hidden reserve in the back, these cinematic bits of the copper, copper squares in that photograph that seems to do this job without you having to intervene in the photograph because it's that hand mm -hmm. line that's there. Um, whereas everything on the front, Coded the way that we've already articulated the Buddha, the broken finger, etc. That one piece builds in all of this of this stuff, and it really is satisfying because everything is finished down to the down to the end. My attention begins to flag in this piece, I think, for reasons that are simply because it's something that's working so well here. Uh, here, you tell me about this the, the white flag and the black hole of, of mm -hmm. this past, this failed relation past helps me understand, but something about the way that the pole, the chair, and the crystal, and the chain are set up takes me, I begin to exit because it becomes so allegorically heavy, mm -hmm. the way that this piece is not. Mm -hmm. This piece is sort of is open to me, where, you know, the pole, the flag, the surrender, the, the um, oriented to the crystal, mm -hmm. and I'm just, I'm curious when you are, are making choices about materials and arrangement, how you how you how you know when you are um, leaving something open and when you may have gone you may have shut may have closed it down. When did you ever is there something that you didn't put in this piece or something that you almost put in this piece? Uh, do they represent things that just was a one way street or are things you removed? like such a hard question to answer because in a way like you as an artist you get so close to your work that then you don't necessarily see those things until they're pointed out to you like in an instance like this you know when you when other people tell you their experiences mm -hmm. so um you know i make i i have like a sketchbook and i write down my ideas and i connect them um to try to form more complex metaphor um but how do I know when I've gone too far or when I've left it open enough? Like, I don't know until someone like you tells me. Is there something you took out of that piece? Did you ever, did you no. say that? So it, you just one way straight to the conclusion. Sure. Wow. <laughs> it's never, never been my experience the way I work, but I'm mm -hmm. just interested in how I... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that was pretty much what I kind of set up to do and, um, you know, down to like the sandbag. I mean, I kind of preconceived that sandbag to be made out of silk and lace. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes you hit on it and sometimes you don't as an artist. Yeah. 
My question was, I mean, again, like you're talking about the material used for the sandbag and material in general. Are you thinking about your identity in terms of femininity when making your work? Is that like a big part of? Yeah. I feel like yeah. really connected to the work in that way. Yeah, yeah, and I think almost in a way that's like something I can't quite escape from either, just based on my own experience. Um, it's just the associations I make with materials based on like how I move throughout the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because there is like a little bit of inherent sexuality too in like lace or like um, in you know like delicate uh, uh, gestures or you know something like that that I definitely kind of think about as well as can be a little subversive to what the objects normally are in real life. Mm -hmm. So I like it. Thanks. <laughs> Any questions? No. <laughs> so the, the floors are very thin. As you're talking about your history, I was born in the mid 70s, so it's like bringing you back. <laughs> and I can imagine like laying on carpet when I was three, like staring at something. Yeah. yeah, but you're talking about your history, so I'm like, it kind of works. Yeah, maybe it's just it's serendipitous. Yeah. I actually have one last question. No, I guess I, I didn't, I kind of glide, glossed over that a little bit. Um, no, I mean, it just becomes this kind of, I mean, it's like, I, I, I didn't like carve the crystal or anything. I bought it off of like Etsy from some kind of spiritual like practices dealer. Um, you know, it's, it's just about like, you know, this, I think just like a point of focus and a meditation, something that like responds to like the elements or the energy. So like when, during an opening, when there's a lot of people in here, um, it, moved a lot more so it becomes like responsive to you know people who are in it um did you see that as connecting mostly to then people experiencing the space and the work or does it connect deeper in a more deep way to the rest of the piece i think it's it's just that um meditative and spiritual practice and that you know that someone like will put their belief in this like thing and it's supposed to respond to you know your kind of like attention you know, like that's how they're kind of supposed to function. And so I saw that as like part of this side of the spiritual practice and that inclination to ascribe to certain kind of um, phenomenon. Awesome. Thank you. That concludes this uh, gallery talk episode podcast Vox Populi gallery tune in listening session for you. So uh, thanks for, for listening and uh, come check out these shows. They're up for another uh, week. We had this, we're in the last week right now. So um, get on it. And uh, thanks again. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.